your Bibles, and I hope you do, go ahead and start making your way to John chapter 13. And we are going to continue our study through the Gospel of John. And today our goal is to cover chapter 13, verses 1 through 17. As you're making your way there, you know, I remember it wasn't that long ago uh, that my wife was pregnant with our children. We have two children. Reuben is eight going on nine, and Mary is six going on 16. But uh, nonetheless, it, it wasn't that long ago that she was pregnant with them. And those nine months leading up to the birth of our children uh, were merely in preparation for their arrival. And those final hours of her pregnancy were the most intense for her. Moms. <laughs> but you know, in the same way, as we begin now, John chapter 13, we are entering the final hours of Jesus' life and ministry on earth. And the first 12 chapters of John cover about three and a half years of Jesus' ministry. Chapters 13 through 20 cover about the next 18 or so hours of his life. So the gospel writer John, he really slows down the pace. And we walk now moment by moment with Jesus's final hours. These final hours he lived his entire life in preparation for. For the fulfillment of his divine purpose. And, and here in John chapter 13, Jesus shares with his disciples through an illustration. Many of you are perhaps familiar with it. He, he washes his disciples' feet, and, and in this illustration with his disciples, he teaches them and shows them how they are to continue after Jesus is gone. And today, we're going to learn from that same illustration. We're going to learn three lessons from Jesus this morning. Three lessons in how we are to continue the ministry and the work of Jesus today in this generation until he returns. If you're taking notes, our title this morning is Table Manners. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. And Lord, as your disciples gathered around a table to celebrate that last supper and you performed that incredible act of service and love to them, Lord, so too we gather in the name of Jesus and pray, Lord, that you would speak to us through your word. As we open your word, God, I pray that you would open our hearts, that we would receive what you would have for us, that you would be our teacher. God, I pray that you would anoint my lips and, Lord, that we would go from here empowered by your Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me there. Actually, you probably are already there. John chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them 
to the end. The evening meal was already in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So, he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Our first lesson from Jesus this morning is that you and I are to love without limits the same way Jesus loves you. We're to love without limits the same way Jesus loves you. Now, in these few verses that we just read, the word new, K-N-E-W, new is mentioned a couple of times. And it is directly connected to four truths that Jesus knew. Jesus knew who he was. He knew where he came from. He knew what he had come for, and he knew where he was going. He knew these things. And I say that to say this, what Jesus knew is directly connected to what Jesus did. Knowing these truths, where he came from, who he was, what he came for, and where he is going, knowing those truths, Jesus held his disciples close in his heart. And the Bible says he loved them to the end. Did you know this morning Jesus loves you to the end? And this loving to the end, it does not mean that he loved them up until this point and then loved them no more. It means that the fullest extent of Jesus' love was expressed. And this word new It's in what's called the perfect tense. Say that with me. Perfect tense. Perfect tense. You're like, great, why does that matter? It matters because the perfect tense verb, it describes a complete action with continued results. Let me illustrate. Today, you probably flipped the switch to turn on a light. You flipped the switch. You completed an action. But that action had continued results because the light stayed on. Perfect tense a completed action with continued results. Jesus, when he knew where he'd come from, what he had come for, who he was and where he was going, knowing those things, the the result of what he knew continues to today. Friends, Jesus' love is a love without limits. Now, some of us have young children at home. And when we think of light switches, we, (laughs) I say no more. On, off, on, off, on, off, on, off. Friends, God does not have an on, off, on, off love. He has a complete love, a limitless love. And nothing is ever going to separate you or I from the love of Jesus because what Jesus knew was that he knew that the fullest extent of God the Father's love for you and I was going to 
be demonstrated through his life, culminating on the cross, which the effects of were just as relevant 2,000 years ago as they are today. What Jesus knew determined what Jesus did. The gospel writer John, he puts it like this in 1 John. He says in 1 John 4, 9 through 10, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Do you know today God's love continues? It continues to you and I right now in this moment. He loves you to the end. See, Judas was about to betray him. Jesus loves him. Peter was about to deny him. Jesus loves him. In less than 24 hours, all of the disciples were going to scatter and abandon him. What does Jesus do? He loves them. He loves them to the end. And and I know that sometimes you and I can doubt the love of God. And we can think in our lives because we have done something in the past that that maybe God doesn't love us anymore. Maybe he only loved us up until that point that we did that thing, but then something happened and his love stopped there. And now we're trying to re-earn his love. Friends, that is a lie from Satan because God loves you to the end and there's nothing that you or I could ever do to more earn God's limitless love for us. And when the devil comes and gets us to question God's limitless love in our lives, we go back to the truths of God's word. Look with me, Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 35, says, Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity, or are persecuted, or hungry, or destitute, or in danger, or threatened with death? No, Despite all of these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Friend, are you convinced today that nothing can separate you from God's love? Amen. Nothing can. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, Neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. Amen. No power in the sky above or the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. He loves you to the end with a love without limits. How do I know? How do you know? Because 2,000 years ago, Jesus went to a cross that had our name on it. And there, hanging from the cross, he said, I love you this much. He loves you to the end. What Jesus knew, where he'd come from, who he was, who he came for, and where he was going, helped determine what Jesus did. You know today, 
it is important that you and I also know where we've come from, who we are, what we have, and where we're going. Because knowing those same truths will also help us determine what we do next. Now, Ephesians tells us. Ephesians says, as for who? You and me. You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Here's the key. Like the rest, we, by nature, were deserving of what? Wrath. Let's pause there for a moment. This is a truth that applies to every single person, believer, unbeliever, regardless. This is a truth that applies to every single person. We were all deserving of the wrath of God. That's where we came from. That is a past that every single one of us, if you're a believer, that is a past that every single one of us have. Today, if you're an unbeliever, if you're like, I don't know what this Jesus thing is all about. I mean, it is our prayer today that, that you will come to the realization of your need, not just for a Savior, but of Jesus' limitless love for you. Because right now, apart from Jesus, this is a present reality, deserving of the wrath of God. This is where we've come from. Let's continue. Ephesians continues, verse 4, but because of his great, what? Love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. Friend, there is nothing you can do to earn God's love because even right now in a sinful state, Jesus still loves you. He still loves you. Look at this. It is by grace you have been saved. You know what we have today? We have the grace of God in Christ Jesus. And it is his grace that is going to save us. It continues, verse 6. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Believer, where are we going? We are going to heaven. Say it with me. Where are we going? Heaven. We are going to heaven now, verse 7, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. We are here, we are going there, but we aren't there yet. How come? Because you and I are still here so that we can be an extension of the expression of his incomparable loving kindness to a lost world. See, there's still a mission to be accomplished. And as I look around this room watching online, you and I, for whatever reason, God has commissioned to continue his mission until he returns. See, the core purpose of our remaining time here on earth is that we would be an extension of the expression of Jesus' limitless love. So what do we do? 
Well, if you desire what Jesus desires, and that's to make disciples of all nations, then we have to ask, God, where are you calling me to be that extension of the expression of your love to a people who don't know you? And for some, it's going to be just right where you are, in your community, in your neighborhoods, in your schools, in your places of work. For others, he's going to relocate you. He's going to send you because there are people who need to experience and hear the limitless love of Jesus. See, what we now know helps determine what we will do next. We were children deserving of wrath. We have been saved by God's grace. We are going to heaven, but we're not there yet because there's work to do. What we now know will help determine what we do. So in light of everything we just said about the love of Jesus, his knowledge of what is to come, look with me at verses 4 and 5. Jesus gives us some practical application. How does this actually play out? Verse 4. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. We love without limits through serving God and serving others. See, the washing of feet was a lowly, uh, almost culturally a, a demeaning responsibility that was reserved for servants and slaves. And it would have been uh, uh, beyond or beneath the dignity of any self-respecting person to stoop down and wash somebody else's feet. You'd be like, no, somebody else can do that. And to understand kind of more of the context of where the disciples were in this moment, uh, spiritually speaking, um, Luke really gives us some insights. Look with me. It's up on the screen. Luke 22. Jesus is getting ready to share this last meal with them, and the disciples come in, and a dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest, right? You can just almost picture the disciples arguing with one another, no, I'm better than you, no, I'm better than you, no, I walked on water. And you can just see this going back and forth of which is the greatest, and Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. As we continue, but you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who what? Serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? And then look at, listen to what Jesus says, but I am among you as one who what? Serves. Loving without limits and serving others go hand in hand. They cannot be separated. You can't love and not serve. They go hand in hand. You and I will serve what we love. Now, Pastor Brian shared with our announcements that school starts this week. Um, and in the spirit of school starting... And in honor of our young people getting homework for the first time in two months, I've got some homework for you. We lead by example. Up on the screen, how do we love without limits? I'm going to share with you five ways. We love without limits. It has a topic. 
and it has a passage. And I want to challenge you and I want to ask you that as a follower of Jesus who desires to grow in Jesus, that you would just take a picture of this or write it down and, and take one a day, Monday through Friday, and work through this. We are to love and serve humbly, Matthew 20, 28. We are to love and serve sacrificially, John 15, 13. We are to love and serve generously, John 13, 34. We are to love and serve deeply, 1 Peter 4, 8. And we are to love and serve radically, Matthew 5, 43 through 44. This week, take one a day and work through it and say, Jesus, how can I today love without limits in this way so that I will be an extension of the expression of your love. Jesus says the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The disciples were gathered in that room arguing among themselves who was the greatest. Jesus shatters their argument. Greatness, greatness in the eyes of Jesus is found in humble service, serving in the way Jesus serves us. That you and I would walk away from here today understanding the greatest lesson, that you and I are called to love without limits the same way Jesus loves us. Read with me the second lesson, and this is from verses 6 through 12. Jesus now, he's going around, he's beginning to wash his disciples' feet, one at a time. And he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Peter, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord... Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that is why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. Our second lesson today is that we would allow Jesus to close the cracks of compromise in our life. Allow Jesus to close the cracks of compromise in your life See, Jesus begins to wash his disciples' feet, and he even washes Judas's feet, knowing what was to come. He eventually gets around to Peter, right? And what does Peter do initially? He initially rejects Jesus' service to him. He initially, re sorry, initially rejects Jesus' service, and then Jesus says, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And then he elaborates, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet for their whole body is clean. This is an incredible picture. Because think for a moment what is taking place here. Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator and the maker of heaven and earth, the one who formed you and knit you together, comes now takes the form 
of a humble servant and begins to unstrap the sandals of his disciples, exposing their feet one at a time with a limitless love begins to wash, making them clean. Friend, I want to ask you today, has Jesus washed you? Have you allowed him access to your life? That he would wash you clean? Have you received what only Jesus can give? He washed his disciples. And he says, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Today, has Jesus washed you? You see, maybe you're thinking, man, I've been a Christian a long time. I've gone to church my whole life. I, I, I lead a Bible study. I go to a home group. I, I serve in kids' ministry, and, and everything is great. Well, you know what? Uh, Peter cast out demons. And what did he need? His feet washed. Peter preached the gospel. What did he need? His feet washed. Peter witnessed the transfiguration, and what did he need? His feet washed. Say it with me now. Peter walked on water, and what did he need? His feet washed. What do you and I need? Our feet washed in a spiritual sense by Jesus. So the question is, why the feet? Well, this goes all the way back to the Old Testament. Look with me, beginning in Exodus chapter 29. This is God's command to the future priests of Israel. And he says to them, this is what you are to do to consecrate them so that they may serve me as priests. Bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting and wash them with water. So here in Exodus chapter 29, before a priest was to be set apart for service to God, they had to be completely washed. That term, washed with water, means that they, they, they took a full bath, head to toe, every part of them cleansed. That's in Exodus 29. Now, look what happens a chapter later in Exodus 30. Then the Lord said to Moses, make a bronze basin with its bronze stand for washing. Place it between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it. Aaron and his sons are to wash their hands and their what? Feet with water from it. So there is, in Exodus 29, there is this initial cleansing that takes place. One and done. When a priest of the Lord was initially washed, that's it. They were set apart for service. But from that moment on, every time they were to go into the tent of meeting to uh, encounter God, they had to first have their what washed, their hands and their feet. Every time they had to have their feet washed. Jesus taught here that there is an initial bathing that is distinct from an ongoing cleansing. You see, what Jesus did on the cross was a, a once and for all, he said, it is finished. The, the, the work of spiritual cleansing for all who believe was done on the cross. 
If you're a believer this morning, your sins by the blood of Jesus are forgiven, past, present, and future. That's a done deal. But we're still here. We are saved from sin's penalty. We are saved from sin's power. But we are not yet saved from sin's presence because we're still here. We're not there yet. So because we are still in the presence of sin, we need to have a spiritual foot washing by Jesus through an ongoing relationship with him, that Jesus would close the cracks of compromise in our life. Read with me 1 John chapter 1, beginning in verse 6. John writes, If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from how much sin? All sin. If we claim, though, to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Continuing. My dear children, I'm sorry, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. Have no part with me, Jesus would say. But look at how chapter 2 continues. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. Amen. What is God's word telling us? If you and I are going to lead a life that expands the kingdom of God on earth through this generation, then we must lead a holy life by allowing Jesus to spiritually wash our feet daily. We have to keep a short account with God. We have to confess the sin that is in our life unashamedly before the Lord. But 1 John 1.8 tells us, gives us a clear warning that there are some who claim to not need that washing. To, to what, what Peter rejected physically, Judas rejected spiritually. See, Judas, Judas was counted as one of the 12 disciples, right? He ministered with Jesus. He learned from Jesus. And surely he physically had his feet washed by Jesus. But he did not receive what Jesus was offering, spiritual cleansing. Because Judas lived a compromised life. See, there's only two kingdoms in the world. Colossians tells us that there's the, the, the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of darkness, and the kingdom of God, the kingdom of light. And there are, Judas was compromised. He, he lived with one foot in the kingdom of Satan and the other foot in the kingdom of God. He was straddling these two kingdoms. Sadly, I believe that there are many people today who are living with one foot in the world, one foot with the kingdom of Satan, and one foot in the kingdom of God. 
See, Jesus says that's never going to do. That'll never work because that's compromising. See, what is compromise? Compromise is simply settling for less than God's best. That's all that is. When you and I compromise with God, we are settling for less than God's best. We're saying, I'm going to take a little bit of what God has to offer and a little bit of what the world has to offer, and I'm going to create my own little kingdom. That'll never work in your life. That'll never work in my life. You're a part of one or the other. You see, the interesting thing about the kingdom of Satan is that it rarely ever looks like the kingdom of Satan. Satan has a unique ability to make evil look good, sound good, and feel good. And that is why you and I have to keep a short account with God, that we would walk closely with him so that he can close the cracks of compromise. Judas lived a compromised life. Look with me back in John chapter 12. Not that he, Judas, even cared for the poor. He was a what? He was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. Judas did not have a one-time slip-up. Judas had a lifestyle of habitual compromise. Look with me at Luke chapter 22. And Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. And they were delighted and agreed to give him what? Money. And money was Judas's love language. He consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. Judas lived the compromised life. He settled for less than God's best. Judas's unrepented of, unconfessed sin was simply greed. And it was in his life for a long time. Friends, Satan will always exploit those sins in your life and in my life that we don't confess and that we don't repent of. What we think is a secret Satan sees as vulnerable prey. That's why Peter writes in 1 Peter 5, 8, he says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, my enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking to see whom he can devour. Now, we talk about compromise. We've all heard of the Titanic, right? And the Titanic was thought to be a what kind of ship? an unsinkable ship. And, and, and I simplify, but the theory behind it was if we take this hull and we compartmentalize it, then if there is a breach in any part of the hull, that breach would be uh, contained or compartmentalized. Now, I'm not an engineer, but here's what I've observed. A hole in the boat is a hole in the boat. And that's not a good thing. A hole in the boat is a hole in the boat. Now, in your life and in mine, compromise. A hole in our integrity is a hole in our integrity, compartmentalized or not, secret or not. A hole in our integrity is a hole in our integrity. And friend, Satan will exploit that. He will do that. Satan is looking for those areas of compromise in our life to exploit in time. Here's the thing. Satan 
cannot make you and I do anything. You've heard the saying, the devil made me do it. No, Satan can't make you do anything. Now, what can he do? He can influence you. Satan, he can influence you and I through what is kept in darkness and through what is kept secret. Satan gains footholds of influence through areas of compromise. Known but unconfessed and unrepented of sin is a recipe for future betrayal. But confession to Jesus closes those cracks of compromise. It destroys the footholds of Satan. Look with me, verse 13 through 17. Jesus says, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. And very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Verse 17, this is underlinable material. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Our third and final lesson that I believe the Lord would have for us to learn this morning is that obeying Jesus unlocks blessings. It just does. Obeying Jesus unlocks blessings. And it's incredible because Jesus says, if you do these things, you will be blessed. He gives you and I today the decision-making authority if whether or not you and I are going to receive God's blessing. Isn't that amazing? If you want God to bless you in your life, obey Him. If you don't want God's blessing, don't obey Him. It's that simple. But He leaves it up to you and I. We get to choose. So, Now that we know these things, Jesus says, you will be blessed if you do them. Well, what do we now know? Remember, what we know helps determine what we do. Well, what do we know? We talked about it. Know that Jesus loves you without limits today, and likewise, you and I are to go and love others. How? Without limits, so that we could be an extension of the expression of his love. Know that serving in humility is Jesus's measure of greatness. Know that confession of sin closes the cracks of compromise. Jesus says, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. But what's the key? It's not just knowing them. It's what? It's doing them. He calls us to action. Look at James chapter 1. Many of you know this verse. He says, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says, otherwise you are only fooling yourselves. God calls his church today, he calls you and I today to be a church of action. A church of radical obedience who are called to be a living extension of the expression of the heart and the love of God the Father through Jesus. And he's looking for people in this room today who will say, I will go and I will be a blessing. I will go and I will do what Jesus is asking. 
Blessing comes when believers go. The church was never meant to be an isolated, stagnant group. It's meant to be living. He said his church is to be a radiant light in a dark world. And when you and I are obedient to go and do what Jesus says, we receive a blessing because we become a blessing. What we now know helps determine what we do next. And I want to ask you guys, now that you know these things, what will you do? Jesus says in this passage, he says, I call you, or you call me, he says, teacher and Lord, for that is what I am. You know, if Jesus this morning is not your teacher, he's also not your Lord. See, that night, the disciples were gathered in that upper room to celebrate the Passover festival. And what they were celebrating was something that God did over a thousand years prior when he freed the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. He sent those plagues, if you recall, to Pharaoh. And finally, at that 10th plague, um, the angel of of death was going to come. and, And God said to the Israelites, you're to slaughter an innocent lamb, take its blood and paint it over your doorpost and your lentil. And, and when I come and I see the blood of an innocent lamb shed, I will pass over you and your household and you would not receive my judgment and my wrath. They were spared the wrath of God because of the shed blood of an innocent lamb. That is what they were celebrating. See, but in a very real sense, Jesus today, the Bible says, is our Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Bible says without the shedding of his blood, there could be no forgiveness of sin. And and as Jesus washed his disciples' feet with water, we are faced with the question, has Jesus washed your sin away with his blood? Have you received him into your life as your Lord, as your teacher, and as your Savior? And if you haven't, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. In a few moments, we're going to close in a worship song and then take communion. But before we do that, I want to give every person here in this room, in the commons, watching online, to be washed by Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. God, we thank you for your word, which is living and active, powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword. Lord, Scripture says that your word revives the soul. And Lord, as we pause now and pray, We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would search every heart in this place watching online. Have you washed us? If you've never received the forgiveness that only Jesus can offer, if you've not allowed Jesus to wash your sins away, forever atoned for for all eternity then in this moment i ask you 
with every head bowed and every eye closed, would you just raise your hand, saying, today is the day of salvation. Today, I want to allow Jesus to wash me spiritually. Let's put your hands up. Amen. Amen. Is there anybody else? Today is the day of salvation. Online, there's a, a number on the screen for you to text into. Amen. Amen. Father God, we thank you. For you so loved the world that you gave your one and only Son that whomever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Today, we celebrate the limitless love of God. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for redeeming us. Thank you that, that heaven is where we're headed, but we're not there yet. Help us to live on mission for your glory. In Jesus' name.